What does it mean to truly be generous? And how can we know if we're hitting the mark? There's something deep inside all of us that wants to be generous. But in today's fast-paced and easily self-absorbed culture, generosity is a virtue that can sometimes be forgotten. What would happen if we practice radical generosity? What would our lives look like? Are you ready to step up and embrace the challenge? Are you ready to be generous? Uh, we all want to be known as generous people. Th- that's, that's the reality. When you get to the end of your life, you don't want to be known as the opposite. Man, that person was a Scrooge. He was greedy. It was all about themselves. We want to be known as generous. Now, generosity, I love how Ryan said it last week, generosity is doing more than is expected, okay? Giving more than expected. Uh, for example, my kids... Uh, if they clean their room without being asked, if they, if they uh, do uh, their laundry without being asked, if, if they do those things that are normal chair, chores that are expected to be part of our household, we give them praise, but that's not generosity. That's, that's serving, that's giving, that's being part of the family. Generosity would be is all of a sudden my wife comes in and the dishes are done by my eldest son. First, she'd have a heart attack and... <laughs> And then she'd realize, oh my goodness, that was so generous of you because you did well more than what was expected. Does that make sense? So there's a big difference between those two. Now, uh, generosity ratchets up and up uh, even, even another notch when it talks about us being followers of Christ. In other words, generosity at its core is a lifestyle in which we share all that we have, all that we are or will ever become as a demonstration of God's love as a response to God's grace. And so far, we've talked in this series about the first step to being a generous person is understanding ownership. Who owns it all? And if you understand that it's God who owns it all, it sure is a lot easier to give that which doesn't belong to you. And so we actually ask you to do a quick deed claim, which is to walk around the house and say, that's God's chair, that's God's TV, that's God's car, those are God's kids, amen? You know, you gotta, you gotta get excited about some of those things, like, whew, pressure is off. So when you get in an accident, you're like, God, you just wrecked your car, you know? And so just so much less stress, and it's the first step to generosity. Last week, Ryan said the second step to generosity is priority. It's prioritizing your life. You can't be generous until you put things into its perspective and its priority. Now this week, the key to generosity is contentment. Contentment. And, there, and as I got into this, uh, this sermon, as I can be honest with you about, there is like three sermons in this one. And so I, I might go a little faster you know, than normal, but I hope that at least one aspect of what we're going to talk about really hits you today. Because we all struggle with greed and discontentment. We just do. We struggle with contentment in life. Our society is constantly telling us that we don't have enough or we aren't enough. And then they try to sell us, promote things that if you buy or engage in this activity, this relationship, this new thing, then all of a sudden you will be content. Now, the main reason that you and I go from being content to being discontent in who we are, what we have, and in our relationships comes down to one word. Compare. Compare. Comparison kills contentment. It's almost hardwired in us. For example, uh, when I give my kids a special treat, let's just say a cookie. If I give them a cookie, they're incredibly grateful and content with that cookie until one of them looks over at the other sibling, realizes they have their cookie is slightly larger than the cookie that they got. 
all of a sudden contentment goes right out the window and be like, well, wait a minute. How come he got that size of cookie and I only got this? How come I only got one thing of ice cream and he got two scoops of ice cream? How come? And we look at our kids and be like, man, when are they going to start being grateful for what they get? None of you get any dessert now. And that's usually our response until we look in the mirror and realize that we are the same people. I remember when the iPhone, you know, came out and I was like, man, my phone was just fine until that iPhone came out. And all of a sudden, my phone was not enough. I was not content with my phone. So I got the iPhone, and man, was I content. I've never seen a device, you know, when it first came out that you could do video, you could do calendar, you could do email, you could do all these things in one little device until Friday. And I was so content for about six months until word came out that a new iPhone was coming. And then the new iPhone came out and said, no, I'm going to hold out. But then six months later, another new iPhone came out. And then all of a sudden, mine felt like a dinosaur. You know, then they intentionally slowed it down to make you buy others. No, that's a whole different, you know, conversation. You know, so uh, anyway, so the iPhones, I recognize that as well. Now, here's something silly that maybe you understand in our region. How many of you guys like to go to the movies? You know, like moviegoers? Okay. I love going to the movies uh, uh, until AMC decided to put in recliner movie seats as well as picking your seat before you even go to the movies. And so now, when I go to Regal in the Valley or in Coeur d'Alene, I find myself discontent, going, man, I got to wait in line, I got to actually find a seat instead of going to my prescribed seat, and I don't get to recline back, I am so discontent. I mean, I need my half hour of sleep somewhere, and they're not providing that for me. And I don't think that I'm alone in this as well. I mean, think about your own life. We do this with our jobs, Right? You're content in your job until you talk to a friend who seems to be more content in theirs, more pay, more vacation, more whatever, and you're like, mm, my job isn't as good as I remember it being. Uh, we do this with our houses, right? How many of you, you know, are watching this show, I don't know, called Fixer Upper? Anybody out there, Fixer Upper? Yeah, Chip and Joanna. You know, everybody gets all excited about these two. Now, let me just say, you are completely content with your house until you see that show. 20 minutes beforehand, your house, your kitchen, your everything was just fine. Then afterwards, you're looking around your house going, man, why can't we do that with our house? Why don't we have that? Why can't we change that? Why can't we morph that? And then some of you ladies look to your husband in disapproval and say, in your mind, maybe your heart, maybe out loud, why can't you be more like Chip Gaines? <laughs> Not all of us could be Chip Gaines, ladies. Just want to make sure you know that. Maybe that's just from my own wife, you know, in, in, that, in that one. But we find ourselves discontent. We were just content a few minutes ago, but we watched the show and now we're no longer content. We do this with our kids, right? When we, when we see other kids behaving so much better at that time or we read and watch things and we're like, you know what? What's wrong with my kids? Why aren't they at that level yet? We do this with our stage of life. Okay, this may hit some of you right between the eyes. In other words, we are discontent with where we're at. The struggle, the, the, the difficulty, the challenges we face. And so we, we say these things in our minds. I can't wait to get through. I can't wait to get beyond. In other words, we're not content with where we're at. I can't wait to get to beyond junior high. Can't wait to get out of high school. Can't wait to get out of college. Can't wait to get that job. Can't wait to be the boss. Can't wait to be the CEO. I can't wait till I finally retire. All of which is under the guise because when I arrive at that next stage of life, I will finally be content. I'll finally be there. Uh, in fact, the famous theologian Jim Carrey, you know, uh, once said this, I wish everyone could become rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they could see that it's not the answer. Because we always think, somebody else, the grass is greener on that other side, and if I could just get to that greener grass, 
I would find out that I would be content. Now, where the comparison game really seems to come into play these days is something called social media. Maybe you've heard about it. Social media, specifically, uh, uh, they have uh, looked at the, the Facebook, for example. How many times have you looked at Facebook and been like, man, that family seems to have the perfect relationships, perfect life, perfect vacations, everything I see, everything's going up and to the right, and I look at my own life, and I'm like, man, I wish I had that. And you may not say that out loud, but you find that happening in your life. You can sense it and feel it. In fact, they've done studies now on Facebook specifically, and they've found more than 10 minutes of watching social media leads to depression. You find it especially in younger people where they don't, they just, and naturally, now you do know Facebook's not real, right? You do know Facebook is not the whole personification of who we are. And so yet we find ourselves caught into that trap of what it looks like. In fact, Facebook knows this, which is why in this year you realize they changed their newsfeed on what you see in your newsfeed to try to combat some of the negativity that people are, young people especially, are falling into. And so now you will see more of your friends and family's newsfeed. Like that's gonna help much, you know, but it will help some because they want to try to help. Now this topic is near and dear to my heart because I look back in my own life and find some of the darkest places I've been in my life was when I was the most discontent. Uh, I, when we were in Arizona, you know, before uh, coming up to the, the Idaho, you know, in the Northwest region, I found myself very, very discontent. And, and, and I remember it, you know, it's hindsight 2020, it's easier to look back than it is when you're in the midst of it. But I can look back and be like, hum, I don't like my church anymore. Uh, the people in the church that I was involved with, they're, they're not giving enough. They're not serving enough. They're not bought into what Jesus is doing. I'm very discontent. Uh, and then I looked around, you know, and, and realized that uh, my wife, she wasn't like other pastor's wives. And so I'm like, why isn't she doing more? Why isn't she leading women's groups? Why isn't she doing these other things? Like, Then I look at my kids. And I'm like, why are my kids, you know, misbehaving all the time? Why are they toddlers? When can they get out of that stage? You know, when can they grow up, you know, to be some of those types of things? Look at our finances. All of a sudden, discontent, 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 discontent. See, what I didn't realize, and this may be the one thing that some of you guys need to hear today. What I didn't realize is my discontent had nothing to do with my church, my wife, my kids, my circumstances. My discontent was internal. And when I'm discontent in here, I blame discontent out there. Some of you are in relationships that you're thinking about getting out of. You've been in a marriage, in a situation, in a marriage that used to make you incredibly content. You're now looking around and looking at other places because you're like, hmm, not doing it like it used to. You're looking at your jobs. It used to be the greatest job you ever had, but you're again, you're looking elsewhere. You're looking at your finances. Not enough, not enough. It used to be enough. It's not enough now. And we find ourselves, so here's my question. Before you start looking outward, you need to look inward. Because here's what I can promise you. Finding contentment will lead to a more peaceful, fulfilled, and generous life. It just will. And I'm not even talking about Christianity yet for those of you who are not Christian. You know this to be true. But a contentment according to Bible starts to unlock it for us. See, contentment according to the Bible means being satisfied with what we have, who we are, and where we're going. That's what biblically that word contentment means. Now, contentment isn't something that money can buy or poverty provide. Because uh, sometimes people equate poverty with contentment. In other words, if you just get rid of all your stuff, then you will be content. Now, if you've been in different parts of the world, there are millions of people who have nothing who are not content. 
and vice versa. Sometimes you may have heard, if God blesses you, then then you're going to be raining finances on you. And you're going to be doing so well, and that's going to bring contentment. No, you know a lot of rich people in the world who also follow God, who still find themselves not content. So what is the secret? What's the key? And the cool part is that the Bible tells us. See, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of our New Testament, he tells us the secret of contentment. And wouldn't we like to know that? What's interesting is if you know a little bit about Paul's background, you can see he has some perspective that you and I can relate to with wherever we're at. See, he's a guy that had the best education that money could provide in that day and age. He'd be like, you know, the Harvard, you know, of religious studies is what he got a chance to go through. Uh, His career path was up and to the right. He was underneath one of the most influential religious leaders of that day, and he was in line to succeed him. And so you're like, man, this guy's up and to the right. He's got a great career path. He's got a great, you know, uh, future that's ahead of him. And then he encounters Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, Jesus changes priority, which is what Ryan talked about perspective, changes perspective, and he finds himself one day in prison. And he's in prison simply because he's a follower of Christ proclaiming him to other people. And as he's in this prison cell, he writes this letter to a church in Philippi, in a specific city. And in it, he tells us the secret of contentment. So understand, his career path, things to be up in the right, now he finds himself in jail, And then he writes these words. Here they are. Philippians 4, verses 11 to 12. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So just think about whatever circumstances that you've been in. Doesn't matter. It's not about the circumstances that make you content. He understands how to be content regardless of the circumstances. So what are those circumstances? Well, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. So he's had little and he's had much. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So the secret of contentment is does not lie in what I have or I don't have, my circumstances or not, married or not, job or not. That's not what he says. He goes, there's a secret to contentment. And the very next verse, he finally tells us the secret of contentment. But I'm going to warn some of you who read the Bible and who love scripture is that this is probably one of the most misquoted scriptures of all the Bible. It's always taken out of context. For this scripture is going to be very familiar to some of you. For it says in Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And we use that verse. We hear that verse. You're like, man, I can climb that mountain. I can overcome that obstacle. I can get through this season. Why? Because God can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And although that's true, that's not the context in which Paul was writing. He's writing the secret to contentment, the secret to whether you've had much or little, whether you've got great things going on in your life or not so much great things going along. The secret of contentment is strength in Christ. That's the specific category in which Paul's talking about. So the secret to contentment is purpose, meaning, and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Now, what's awesome is is, is you're like, okay, so does that mean I just pray a prayer? Does that mean just go to church? I find myself kind of still discontent. I'm, I'm still not there, Dan. I've done those things. I'm trying to follow God, but I find myself in seasons where I'm not content. What's cool part is that if you keep reading the Bible, the Apostle Paul tells us how do we get this strength? How do we get this focus and perspective on Christ that allows us to be content regardless of the circumstances? And I just want to point out three of those ways because he has a conversation through a letter to a disciple that he's making called Timothy. 
So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 6 through 10 specifically. But I would encourage you, as you have conversations this week or in your small groups and community groups, that you go all the way through 19. It's a great passage as it pertains to contentment. And so this is what the Apostle Paul tells you know, his disciple Timothy. First, contentment is found, number one, when I trust God completely. When I trust God completely. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great gain. So he says the secret to contentment is trusting Christ with my life. Trusting it with my life. It's not just praying a prayer. It's not just going to services, but it's saying, Jesus, I'm surrendering. My way is not led to contentment. I'm surrendering to your way, the way of godliness, which leads to contentment. In fact, Proverbs would say it this way in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. The pressure is off. I'm following his plan, his direction, every single step of the way. Now, to do that will take regular intentional connection with God. And you're here on Sunday. It's a great step. But I want to encourage you to take it beyond Sunday in your own walk and time with him. Not only in small groups, but in your packets today, you will have once again this Bible reading plan. And so we're trying to encourage our congregation to spend time in God's word so that you get to hear from God himself. So you understand his way, his plans, his direction for your life. And so in every one of the packets that, that you got when you came in, this is in there. And I would say, find a partner and you'll see it walks you through different studies, different places that you can grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's gotta be intentional though. So some of you are sitting back saying, okay, what does this have to do with money or generosity? Uh, what does it have to do? Well, you do realize that as Americans, even as American Christians, we have a tendency to trust in what we can provide for ourselves than what we can trust in God. We have a tendency to do that. See, contentment is not found in riches, but in Jesus Christ. That's what we just talked about. So 1 Timothy 6, jump down a few verses, look at verse 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Now, usually that's when we as Americans stop and we say, you know what, I'm not rich. And we use this ladder. Remember, if those of you who are on Christmas Eve, we have this morality ladder and we always compare down, right? Well, I'm better than so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, but we never compare up. Well, this is vice versa. We have a tendency when it comes to being rich to always compare up. We always do this thing. Well, I'm poor compared to who? Bill Gates. Well, you're right. So was all the world, you know, but compare, let's go the other way. Do you realize that if you live on welfare, if you are in welfare in America, you are in the top 90%, the top 10% of the entire known world, especially in underdeveloped countries. If you're in welfare in America. So when Paul writes this word rich, it applies to me. It applies to you. So he tells us, so teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Now notice what he doesn't say. Paul doesn't say having money is bad. Doesn't say have money, money is wrong. The question is, where do we put our trust? Where do we put our security? Where do we put our hope? Where do we put our purpose? All of those things, if it is in resources, you will find yourself in want and discontent on a regular basis. 
He says, because this world, there's so much more to it than just in resources. There's, you might have you know, read the scripture. The love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is evil. Money is money. It's an inanimate object. It's not good or evil. It's how we use it. And so he's, what Christ is going back to is our hearts, which we'll talk about in just a second. So the way we don't allow our trust of money over God, the way we do that is actually the antidote is to give generously. All of a sudden, you find more contentment because your focus is on him than on the resources. So for some of you, practically, that's going to mean start giving. You know, it's not a bait and switch. It's a secret to contentment because you're not putting your trust in the resources. You're trusting in God. Some of you need to start giving. Some of you need to start tithing. Tithe literally means 10%. Where it's an up, you're like, okay, I'm going to trust him more. Some of you have been tithing all of your life need to give even more. Why? Because you're in such a rhythm and habit that you're not trusting God. You're still trusting yourself. And so there's, a, there's, a, there's an opportunity for you to reflect on what that next step would be in your life. Proverbs 3, 9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part, the best part of everything that you produce. So the first way to find contentment, strength in Christ is to trust God completely. Secondly, live knowing this life is temporary. Do you live knowing this life is temporary? For many of us, we get caught up and think that this life is all there is, which is why we quickly want to grab as much as we can while we can, because that's what our society is pushing for. If this is all there is, then get as much out of it for yourself and your loved ones as possible. But what Christ is reminding us is this is not all there is, so live with a different focus. Live with a different focus. First Timothy 6, 7, the very next verse says this, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave. Uh, here's one truth that, that I know. Of all the funerals that I've overseen, all the ones that I've been to, I have yet to see a U-Haul attached to a hearse. Just doesn't happen. You can't take it with you when you die. You know, he who dies with the most toys doesn't win. They still die. You know, that's, that's just the reality of the situation. So my question is, is are our eyes focused on eternity? And when I'm focused on eternity, I, I tend to compare less because I'm not worried about keeping up with the Joneses. I'm worried and focused, I'm not worried, I'm focused on that which is going to live beyond myself. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6, 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And that goes back to the first, first week. Where you give is where your heart goes. A lot of people think, well, where my heart is, that's where I'm going to give to. No. The Bible is very, very clear that even the things you care nothing about right now, doesn't matter what it is. If you care nothing about that thing, and all of a sudden you start giving generously to the thing in which you don't care about, watch. You will begin to care about that thing. Because the Bible says there is a string attached to resources. So where my treasure goes, there my heart is also and when you and I give financially what God is doing, we are storing up treasures in heaven. You can't predict. You and I can't predict what's going to happen in this life or the economy. Mudslides can happen, fire, economic collapse. But every week when you and I give to God's work, our meaning is not found in the possessions. We're realizing this world is not all there is. And here's what happens. When you begin to know that eternity is what you're living for, the only thing you can take with you when you die is other people you start realizing the priority of this life is the life spent in love, connection to, and investment in other people. 
your priorities begin to change and it begins to hit you a little bit differently. In fact, let me just show you a family, you know, who kind of caught this bug and has begun to radically change their life and radical generosity because they realize this world is not all there is. Go ahead and watch the screens with me now. My, my name is Alex. This is my family. We are blessed parents of two boys and we're in the middle of our third adoption. In about two and a half weeks, we are set to travel to China to pick up our third boy. A little bit less than a year between our second and third adoption. Church came alone and we received a $5,000 gift for our adoption process, which was huge. Uh, because uh, we were so, um, we didn't have an, a much time apart between our adoptions. We had to give up th some things, but um, from previous experience and from previous two adoptions, it's all worth it. Uh, we have no regrets for what we had to give up. In this process, you know, you grow um, spiritually in uh, God working within you. And um, like I, I learned to trust God more and depend on God and um, God changes priorities. One thing that pushed me the most, my wife told me once, when you're gonna die, what you're gonna be thinking about, what you're gonna be regretting most. Usually people don't regret not having the best car, best house or best vacation. Most Christians regret about missed opportunities of service to the Lord. And that's what pushed me to be more proactive and participate and start this adoption process. Once we've got um, enough uh, for the first uh, fee, you know, we start doing the process. And since then, you know, God gives enough for each day. The child uh, that we're adopting, he's two, two and a half years old at the moment. He has a special need of cerebral palsy. He needs some medical attention when we're gonna bring him home. Uh, he might have some other medical needs which we're not aware of, but uh, God is faithful and we're looking forward uh, to a journey. Can we just thank God for them? <clears throat> I hope you heard some of the words that they said about what are we living for? What are the regrets that we would have in life? And they began to really take that to heart and begin to change. Now, here's where you come in. They go to our church. I hope you didn't miss this. Our church gave them $5,000 towards their adoption. The reason we were able to do that is because of our Christmas Eve offering. Our Christmas Eve offering, we took a, to nine, over a $90,000 offering now that was given on Christmas Eve to different ministries around, one of which was to help local adoptions through our church. We have $20,000 set aside to help people continue to live this way if God puts that on their heart. And so although I'm looking at Allison, what a great example. Do you realize you're part of the journey? You were part of the journey if you, if you were here in that time. And when you give, all of a sudden, your continue to expand God's kingdom and the priorities of your life is not just about here on earth. It's about changing people forever and ever and ever. That's what it's about. And again, and let me make sure I'm clear. There is nothing wrong with buying a house, a car, a boat. The problem becomes which neighborhood we live in can become more important than the neighbors themselves. See the difference? 
The neighborhood we live in can become more important than the neighbors themselves. One of the indications that our hearts and minds are focused on the here and now and not on eternity is one word called debt. There's a tendency in our microwave society that you have to have it and you have to have it now that in order for us to get all we can out of this world, we think we have to go into debt, major debt, consumer debt, in order to have all of those things. And one of the reasons is because we want to fit in with our coworkers, standard of living, the people who are living next door, all that kind of stuff. In the words of Dave Ramsey, I got news, the Joneses are in debt up to their eyeballs as well. Okay? Now, you want to be generous, but you can't because you have to work even more, which limits your opportunity for service because you're still trying to pay off or live at a level that God never intended you to live. And so here's our way to help you. We have a class called Financial Peace University that's kicking off in just a few weeks. It's a nine-week course, and I've gone through it. It's amazing. It's so amazing. It helps you walk through practically. How do I get out of debt? How do I continue to focus on generosity? And as a person who went through it, absolutely love it. There'd be one thing I would add that I think would enhance, you know, the seven steps of financial peace. You know, financial peace. Steps one through three are phenomenal. Walks you through how to get out of the debt. Four through six, seven talks about, you know, uh, saving up, paying for, and all that kind of stuff. Here's my one enhancement that I think according to the Bible would be beneficial as you walk through the Dave Ramsey program, especially those of you who've been there before, is as you're going through steps four, five, and six, you continue to grow in generosity. You don't wait. In, in other words, a lot of times it talks about paying, you know, uh, retirement, talk about you know, uh, paying off your house, talks about, you know, getting for kids, uh, money for kids' college. All things are good. We need to do those things if we're in financial uh, ability to be able to do those things while increasing generosity because you never know what God is gonna call you home. You never know what he's gonna ask you to do. And when he puts something on your heart, you need to follow through with that. Here's why I say that. Because in today, in middle America today, it costs $233,610 to raise a child zero to 18. Somebody did the math. I found it online. <laughs> Just, you know, that's not me. I'm a pastor. You know, uh, and so I, and the, reason, the reason I say that and point to that is because if I followed exactly what Dave Ramsey's plan said, verses four through seven, I would have never adopted a child and neither would have Alex. And so even if it delays some of the wise principles of Financial Peace University, we follow God's leading first and we continue to increase in generosity while doing those things. In fact, this is the way the Bible says it. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Above all else. College fund, retirement, all kinds of Seek his kingdom above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So we trust him. And are we living as if this world is the end or is, is there more? And so the third one, the last one says, be grateful for who I am and what I have been given by God. First Timothy 6, 8 says, so we have enough food and clothing. Let us be content. If we have enough, perspective changes attitude. Attitude is at the core of contentment. Ever say that to your kids? You got to change your attitude. You got to see that there's more positives than negatives that are going on in your life. You have to be able to do that. Uh, one of the things that I look forward to one day is taking my children to a different country where they get to see what poverty really looks like. And all of a sudden you come back and you're made fully aware of what I have, I'm pretty grateful for. But I don't think we all need to go to a different country to begin doing this. I think we can do this right here and right now. 
And so one of the ways that we're always encouraging generosity is to say, how can we continue to help those in need in our local community? And so one of the things that's also in your packet today is the Super Bowl challenge. It's our second annual Super Bowl food challenge. You know in Super Bowl, Super Bowl is one of those times that we get together and whether we care about the game or not, we just stuff our faces. It's like a second Thanksgiving, let's be honest. You know, and so it's just kind of fun to get together and some commercials and the food and the fellowship, all that kind of stuff. So as a church, we want to be about those who don't have during this time of year. So not just at the Christmas time, but even beyond. So our goal is that we would get 10,000 items, 10,000 food items. And what it's going to go is to supplement the subsidies through our local schools for kids who need assisted lunches and breakfasts. And so what happens is, is that the government helps pay and subsidize for kids in our community who are underprivileged for breakfast and lunches, but it's only Monday through Friday. We get to fill in the gaps Saturdays and Sunday. And so we have an opportunity. So what items should we buy? Well, it's all there. It's all written down there. So the next two weeks, let's be generous. Let's put this to use. And all of a sudden you become more and more grateful as you go through the pantry with your spouse, with your loved one, just by yourself, with your kids, and be like, we're doing this. All of a sudden you and I become grateful. We become grateful. And so I also want to say this. This doesn't just mean finances. A lot of us are discontent with who we've been created to be. In other words, one of the big traps is, is like, you know what? I, I just wish I was prettier. I wish I had a bit different body shape or style. I, I wish I was smarter. I, I wish I was more gifted. And so we find ourselves discontent because we're comparing ourselves with those outside of who we are. And we find ourselves living life completely wanting to be someone that we are not. One of the ways you're going to find contentment is to realize that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Your life matters exactly how he's created you to be a part of the body that he wants you to be a part of. He, he wants you to be to, to see your value in your life through his eyes. In fact, he says it this way in Psalms 139. David writes this, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was even born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You matter. See, gratefulness is the antidote to discontentment. It really is. We stop comparing when we begin to be grateful for what we currently have and who we are right now. So here would be a challenge. For those of you who find yourself discontent with who you are and what you have, that you would tend, uh, during the day, that 10 things that you would write down or say verbally that you're grateful for. And watch. It sounds so simple. It sounds so easy. And you're thanking God for those things. So thank you, God, for. And you used to say 10 things. Watch to see how your countenance changed. Watch to see how you become more content. Watch to see how that affects your relationships and people around you when you begin to thank God instead of looking to see what you don't have. It's interesting because it's here in the church too. We do this all the time. You know, well, I wish my church was and wish our church was. And I agree. I, I want to be those things too. And I've done that. I go to conferences. You know, I'm going to go to one a couple of weeks, you know, be like, oh man, our church should be this and that, this. Like, no, incredibly grateful, incredibly content with what God has, has for us and through us as we continue to serve him. And so as we wrap up, what is your next step? In other words, my next practical step to being content so that I can be generous. And I give you four options today. One, maybe to give your life to Christ is the first one. 
to say, I'm trying to find contentment just on my own and it just ain't working. Oh, it works for a little while. All those things that you're trying to find, it brings contentment for a short season. But maybe today is the day you say, you know what? I'm gonna surrender myself and trust God with my life. I'm gonna give myself to his will and his direction, his leading. Uh, maybe for some of you, it's your, you've already done that. It's just regularly connecting to the God of the universe through his word, letting him guide you, give you perspective in everyday life. Number two, some of you need to sign up for Financial Peace University. As you leave, there's a sign-up table. Love to have you. It will change you, especially if you are in the bondage of debt right now. Uh, number three, daily gratitude, verbally or written. You say, I'm gonna commit to daily gratitude. Or number four, that you're gonna begin to give regularly and generously to Christ in his kingdom. Watch to see how your life will change. Some of you don't know the scriptures and that's okay, but I bet there's one scripture that maybe you do know. It's a scripture that you might find even outside the church walls and maybe you've heard you know, other people say, and it's from Psalm chapter 23. And in verse one, it says it all. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm gonna be content because God is the one who's leading and guiding me as I surrender to him. If you find yourself in a season of discontentment, here's what I can tell you. Our priorities, our eyes, our life maybe has wandered from who God is in our lives. It's so easy. I find myself there on a regular basis as well. What's your next step? And here's my last thing. Tell somebody about it. Tell somebody, do it together with someone. Say, this is my next step in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to try to take steps towards contentment in you so that we can be generous with the time, talents, and treasures that you've provided. Father, I pray for anyone in here whose next step is to give their life to you, that they would then make the, the, the decision and, and have the courage to step forward. Father, for the rest of us, just guide us. Help us to understand what's true and real and to trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.